Well, it's the new year, and so I thought, you know, some of us make uh, resolutions, and some of us think that resolutions are evil. And, I'll, and today I want to give you some thoughts on uh, a different kind of resolution. Typically, resolutions involve doing something. But I want to talk tonight about a resolution for rest. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a resolution, especially when it's something that has came out of reflection and studying the scriptures and praying, God, you know, God, maybe what would you like me to change? Once again, we don't have to wait till the 1st of January to do that. We can make a resolution in our heart at any time. It says, you know, it's funny in Daniel chapter 1, it said that Daniel resolved in his heart some things. It doesn't necessarily have to be at any particular time of the year. We know that for some reason we do that at the first of the year because it seems like there's a fresh start. But I want to talk today a little bit about uh, a resolution for for a resolution for rest. But first, repeat after me. Psalm sixteen eight. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Psalm sixteen eight. Psalm 16:8. I keep my eyes, keep my always, eyes. always on the Lord. On the Lord. With, him, With him, at my right hand, at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Once you turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through about 18. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. <clears throat> A man came to my office named Jed. Jed was an old patient, actually a patient who became a friend, and um, he came back for a follow-up for some tests. Well, when I opened the door, I kind of woke Jed up. He had been sleeping on the bed, and he was kind of startled when I came in. And um, you know, as he kind of opened his eyes and wiped the, you know, wiped his eyes off and kind of sat up, he said, "Well, doctor, what's the result of my tests?" Well, I said, well, Jedediah, you know, your colonoscopy, your CAT scan, your PET scan, your chest X-ray, all of your lab values are normal. And, uh, you know, three years prior to this, Jed had had a colon cancer removed, and there's always that thought in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. Do I have, you know, a recurrence of my cancer? And, but Jed kind of looked at me with a puzzled look, and he said, well, doctor, then why am I so tired? <laughs> And I said, well, Jed, uh, you know, I went through everything again. We asked, I asked every question, and nothing really brought up anything. And, you know, Jed kind of said, you know, doctor, I'm really kind of concerned because I'm not worried so much about myself. I'm worried about Pat. You know, I'm her caregiver. And as I began to ask, well, so how Pat's, how's Pat doing? I said, well, you know, Jed said, well, you know, uh, two years ago, you know, she had that stroke, and I've been caring for her at home having to get her up out of bed and cook and clean and be her chauffeur and take her to doctor's visits. And she's got this little wound on the bottom of her leg and I can't get down like I used to could on the floor and change this little dressing every day. And the more I heard about Jed and how he was caring for Pat, I realized the source of his exhaustion. It wasn't necessarily anything that was medical. It was something um, more of just the day-to-day -day grind of caring for another person. 
You know, and as I thought about that, you know, when I kind of began to talk to Jed about this, you know, realized he began to make up all these excuses for why he couldn't take a break. He was a retired pastor, couldn't go to church anymore because he had to take care of Pat. You can imagine, you know, his whole world had been focused on on caring for her. And, uh, you know, as I thought more about that, you know, so often we think that rest is a four-letter word. You know, we think that rest is something that we should avoid, especially in our performance-based culture where people are always encouraged us to do more, do more, and be more, and all these things. And we forget that rest is not a four-letter word. In fact, sometimes rest is one of the most spiritual things that we can do. You know, sometimes we feel like uh, in these situations that we're in, our circumstances, we feel like we're the only person on the planet. And that's definitely how Jed felt. He felt like he was the only person that could take care of Pat's problems. Then there's a sense of guilt and obligation. Well, I can't leave because who's going to be there with her, you know, or whatever. You know, and sometimes we're just too busy. We're just too busy to stop and let other people help us. Sometimes we're just too prideful to stop and let other people help us. But, but I want to remind you today that this is, that, that rest is not a four-letter word. I want you to look here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want you to see how the Lord uh, ministered to a discouraged, uh, dejected prophet. Let's start out with verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, like that of one of them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under, uh, sat, he came to a broom bush or juniper tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the, Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your court covenant, turned down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak, 
pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. I want you to think about how the Lord dealt with this prophet here in the wake of what happened. We know in, in the previous chapters, Elisha goes before King Ahab and predicts or prophesies a drought. And here's Elisha. He's Elijah. He's hiding out at the brook. And then he's moved to Zarephath, to this widow, hiding out in obscurity. And, and as the drought continues, um, um, God begins to work on the nation of Israel. And then finally it all culminates at Mount Carmel, where Elijah calls down fire from heaven and proves that God is the true God. And all those prophets, those apparently 850 prophets were murdered there on Mount Carmel. What a great day of victory. And here in the wake of this, we see that Elijah goes through this period of discouragement. Let's look at verses 1 through about verse 3. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, like that of one of them. <clears throat> What's interesting is we know that Mount Carmel is in the northern part of Israel. Once again, we have a divided kingdom, and Mount Carmel is up towards the sea, the northern part of Israel. Jezreel seems to be the capital of the nation of Israel and the divided nations. And so here we know that in the last chapter, um, uh, Elijah prays for rain and then miraculously he outruns Ahab back to uh, Jezreel. And there he is in Jezreel. And so the question that, that pops into my mind, why did Jezebel send this letter? I mean, they're there in the capital city. Why didn't Jezebel just send some of her, uh, maybe her top gun, you know, commandos just to go down and kill Elijah? Why did she use this tactic? You know, if you think about it, at this point, Elijah was probably, in a sense, kind of a hero for many people in, in, uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel. And so to kill him and make him a martyr for the Lord may have boomeranged back on Jezebel. Yeah. No doubt she was a very wise and shrewd 
politician trying to keep her power. So she chose a different strategy. You know what's even worse than death sometimes? Discouragement. I mean, she chose to discourage the prophet and to scare him. And it looked like here that her, her strategy worked. It says in verse 3 that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And we know that he ran south down to Beersheba, which is about as far south in Israel as you can get. It's down in the desert in the nation of Judah. Once again, we have a divided kingdom, but it's as far south. You've heard of the phrase from Dan to Beersheba. Well, Dan was the northern part in Israel, and Beersheba was the southern part. This was about a, you know, uh, probably about a, a maybe a 10-day 10, 10 walk for him to get down there. But if you notice, here he is running for his life. And what's interesting here, and, and this is what discouragement does so often in his life, <clears throat> verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Isn't that interesting? Here is Elijah just had this victory, and yet uh, he's running before a defeated foe. I mean, think about that. Isn't it funny what discouragement can often do in our lives? You know, discouragement makes us think things that aren't true. It makes us say things that aren't true. We see this here in the passage that Elijah begins to verbalize some things that really aren't true. I mean, he thinks things that aren't true. He says things that aren't true. And then he does things that are really irrational. If you notice here in this passage, it doesn't say that God told him to leave. God, God told him to retreat. But yet he does. He, he just instinctively runs from Jezebel. There's this fear uh, that he has. But I want you to notice how the Lord deals for him in this passage. And I think it's just such a great picture of the compassion and the love that God had for Elijah and he also has for us when we go through these times of discouragement. But I want you to think about this. And, and I think one of the reasons why Elijah was so dejected here, we know that he is... Uh, probably tired physically after this marathon run that he just experienced. We know that he's probably exhausted spiritually from having to pray and, 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 and call down God's, uh, you know, God's fire from heaven and then pray for rain for all these things. And we know probably uh, you know, all these things had added up. You know, it's funny. I wonder if Elijah didn't have a certain set of expectations. Yeah. You know, and so often I think we get discouraged in the Lord because we have a set of expectations that things are going to work out the way that we plan them to work out. You know, God often has a sense of humor, doesn't he? And he, he tends to do things a little differently than the, the way we plan them. You know, if I were Elijah, I would have thought, man, I mean, man, send the fire from heaven. The nation of Israel is going to repent and turn. Ahab is going to, man, he's going to take down all those altars and tear them down. And man, and they're going to parade me through the streets of Jezreel. You know, that's kind of the way I would have, that, that would have been my plan. I'm sure some of those thoughts were going through Elijah's mind. You know, what's happening. Instead of, instead of things maybe working out the way he planned, perhaps... He didn't anticipate facing more opposition. He didn't anticipate this, this letter of discouragement that he's seen. And so he runs. Yet he's victorious in this, in this battle. And yet he runs for his life all the way south into Judah 
into Beersheba. And he even leaves his servant there. And in verse 4, while he went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. You guys may be more familiar with a juniper tree, maybe in other versions of the Bible. But he came to this broom bush and sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Have you ever had that feeling in your life? Just so desperate, so dejected, so discouraged that you're just like, what? I mean, I've done everything, Lord, that I know to do. I've called down fire from heaven. You know, goodness. And still. I mean, and all these things are going through his mind. I mean, you can see here this this discouragement. You know, if I were a psychiatrist, and I'm not a psychiatrist, let me tell you, uh, that's another story for another day. I almost failed my psychiatry rotation. Let me just tell you real quickly. I came in and, and yeah, and we, we get on the interview and I say, hey, good morning, how are y'all doing? And they're all kind of like trying to analyze, what do you mean by that? <laughs> but anyway, so I almost failed my, but anyway, I'm no psychiatrist, but I'll tell you something about, about Elijah here. If I could diagnose Elijah, I would say he was suffering from a severe case of burnout. He was just burned out. He was just fed up and ready to throw in the towel and quit. But I love how the Lord deals with him. And think about this. Even looking in the New Testament, here's Elijah in the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, think about all the things that God had planned for him. Even, I mean, caught up in a chariot of fire. I mean, I mean, I mean, coming back to be with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, here it is, he wants to die. Does he have any idea of what the Lord has prepared for, for him? And so often we get this discouraged mentality and this, this, this defeated kind of attitude and we, don't, we fail to realize that the Lord ain't done with us yet. You know, the Lord still has something to do in our lives. But here it is. Take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lays down under this bush and falls asleep. And I just love this. Look at verse 5. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate, drank, and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I mean, I want you to notice here, Elijah was touched by an angel. Now, we don't know if this was one, might have been one angel, might have been two angels, might have been a whole whole army of angels around Elijah protecting him at this point. But I want you to notice here this phrase, all at once an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord came. You know, this phrase, angel of the Lord, is very specific and it's used for times uh, when most people think that this was, a, this was actually the Lord himself. If you look back in other passages in the Old Testament, you know, for example, we can go back into remember in Genesis 16 when Hagar was thrown out, or she ran away and she was going to Egypt, and she she went by that well, and the well is called the well of the Lord that sees me. It mentions that three times that the angel of the Lord came to her. Many people believe that was a Christophany, that was Jesus Himself. Then you can move on and go to the, go to Moses in, in, in Exodus chapter 3. You know that encounter with the burning bush. And it says that the angel of the Lord appeared in that burning bush. You know, and as that conversation continues, the angel of the Lord began to tell him, you know, I am that I am. 
And that was many, so many, many theologians believe that that was the Lord Himself. And I believe this was the Lord here touching him and giving him yeah. that encouragement he needed. You know, what Elijah needed more than anything was rest. You know, and sometimes in our lives, when things are going crazy and we're going through this roller coaster up and down of emotions, <coughs> physical tiredness, all of these things, the most spiritual thing that we can do is rest. Mm -hmm. Rest is not a four-letter word. Yeah. I mean, God, God programmed us to rest. I want you to think of even, even comparing man to all the animals. You know that most animals only sleep maybe one or two hours a day? Uh, you know, and in dolphins, they don't sleep at all. One, one side of their brain turns off while the other one's engaged, and then, then the other one flips, and it flips back and forth. They never sleep. But you know, mankind was created to sleep about a third of their life. Isn't that interesting? Because you know, because and I think you know, scientists can't explain why this is. You know, evolutionists can't explain this. Why man, as opposed to the animals, you you snooze, you lose. I mean, if you think about this from an evolutionist standpoint, man, if you, I mean, if you're if you're carrying this theory out, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because those who survive are the guys who are up, who are always vigilant. But but you see here, we know the truth, don't we? We know that God created man to turn Amen. off. He created man to turn his brain off and to release control and let God do for him what he can't do for himself. That's just an example of one way that God created us to rest. And as you go into this year, I want to ask you a question. Amen. How are you sleeping? Are you just are you just taking that to-do list and tearing it up at the end of the day and going, hey, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to let you do what you can't do for me. Another thought. You know, are you taking time daily just to stop and refresh yourself, get a new, refreshed vision and purpose from the Lord? Are you having just a time, a daily quiet time, a time when you listen to the Lord, when you recharge your batteries? <coughs> Maybe even a greater scale, are you taking time just to, sometimes just to get away and have those times, maybe a longer period of time when you sit and you listen? from the Lord. You know, so often we get in these situations where we get discouraged and we have all these these feelings that, that come into our lives when, because we're just going so fast and we're on the treadmill that we don't take the time to stop and listen and refresh and recharge our batteries. And that's exactly what the Lord does here for him in this touch. <clears throat> you know, I'm reminded here, and I love this phrase, it says, in verse 8, it says that Elijah looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate it and drank and then lay down again. You know, I'm reminded in the book of John. You remember after the Lord rose from the dead and how Peter denied the Lord three times. And there he was out there fishing. He had gone back to his nets. And the Lord reinstates him into the ministry. You know, and he, 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 they have that great catch of fish, and then there they come by, by the shore, and there's that coal, that little fire that Jesus made for Peter, and that, you know, that bread that Jesus made for Peter. That time, and you know, here's, here's the Lord saying, just come on, Peter, just come back, and just, just spend some time with me, and let me refresh you. Let me, let me recharge your batteries. Let me reinstate you into the ministry that I've called you to do. And I, th I think that's in a way here, maybe a picture of what the Lord is doing here in Elijah's life. 
And so it says in verse 8, he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah was a caveman for a while. He was still, he was still in this hideout mode. I mean, still in a sense running perhaps from, from Jezebel. Once again, he's trying to get as far away. He's going further south now. He's leaving the whole nation of Israel, and he's going down into the site, going into what would be modern-day Saudi Arabia, into Mount Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Now, what do we know about Mount Horeb? Well, first of all, we just alluded to Exodus chapter three. Mount Horeb was the place where Moses met with God. Maybe, maybe that was in the back of his mind. Maybe he's like, "Man, Lord, I really need a fresh, I, I need a fresh vision of who you are. I need a fresh." purpose of understanding what you've called me to do. I don't know, but, but for some reason, the, uh, he traveled down there uh, to Mount Horeb, and it's interesting. Look in verse 9. There in the cave, he spent the night alone by himself, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't it interesting that this question is repeated twice? Elijah, why are you here? What motivated you to come all this way, man? Almost 250 miles. And of course, he gives this answer, and we see in this answer this despondency, you know, and how his thinking has got so messed up, you know, in, his, in, in what he says. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. That is all true. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, you just notice just the discouragement here. And then the Lord said this, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Probably Elijah traveled all the way down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai to have a new experience with God. You know, to get that fresh... And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, we know that you know God doesn't necessarily to, 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 doesn't tell him to do this, but yet God in His sovereign goodness allows him to do this and and begins to minister to him as he's traveling and getting away from his circumstances. But I want you to see what happens here. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now think about this. Think about what this would conjure in your mind. Think about Moses up there on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now the Lord was, remember how the Lord passed before Moses. I mean, th think about what's going on in Elijah's mind as he's anticipating what's going to happen. Man, this is going to be something big. Man, God's fixing, man, we're fixing to see something. This is going to be awesome. You know, get out the video camera and let's, let's put this on YouTube, man. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. I mean, think about this. This wind must have been so, so strong that some of the rocks came off the mountain and shattered. I mean, and then came the earthquake. And then came the fire. But in all these things, apparently, Elijah did not perceive the presence of the Lord. And then we know there came that gentle wind. I, I love what it says. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. You know, then Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face 
and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now see, he's putting his cloak over his face. Maybe he thinks, man, the glory of the Lord is fixing to shine. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's fixing to see that. But yet, it's just a gentle voice. You know, so often in our lives, we go from these mountaintop experiences in the, in the mountains to the valleys and the ups and the downs. And we, we tend to go from one experience to another experience. There's nothing wrong with an experience with the Lord, you know. But I want to remind you here, too, that often just sitting and listening and hearing the gentle voice of God speaking in our lives is enough. I mean, think of this. Man, if the Lord would have came in fire and judgment, he probably would have had a lot of things to say to Elijah at that point. I mean, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, little prophet? Who do you think called you to do this? I mean, you know, but yet God in his grace, and what I love here is that, is that the Lord doesn't respond negatively to Elijah. I mean, he knows that, he knows how tender his heart is and how, how in a sense, how broken and discouraged he is. And the Lord doesn't just, you know, like a football coach take him by the, by the, by the mask and shake him. Wake up, boy, you know. This is wake-up time. Get your, get your head in the game, you know. No, he doesn't do that. And just the gentle whisper of the Lord here is so... And so he asked him another question. Isn't it interesting? That question. Really making him stop and reflect and think, why am I here? I mean, you know, I could have heard a gentle whisper way back up there in, in Israel. I didn't have to come all the way down here to do that. You know, I recently had an experience like this. Um, we had planned to go to Atlanta, Georgia, the whole family on a, on a, on a, on a trip. And uh, the son, my, my, my boys had planned to go to Atlanta to this passion conference. You may have heard about it. 65,000 college students came to the, to the Mercedes Atlanta Dome. Man, and these big-time speakers. Robbie Zachariah, Louis Giglio, Tim Tebow. You name the big names, they were there. Man, this was, a, man, this was one of those experiences. Well, Daddy chose... Uh, to be their chauffeur and pick them up and drop them off. But Daddy chose a different route. I chose just to go and just sit in the chair and stop and listen. <laughs> you know, and I think for me, that was one of the most impactful times that I could have had. Just stopping and listening and resting before the yeah. Lord. And I want to encourage you today just to be thinking about that, about, about just taking time out in your life to rest and let God do for you what you can't do for yourself this year. That's a good resolution. That's sometimes even harder because we want to do something, don't we? We want to have a big experience, but yet realizing that if we will stop and we will listen, man, God will speak to our hearts through that gentle whisper. And we see in verse 14 the same response to the same response to God. Man, pity party. I'm the only one left and they're trying to get me out. And the Lord doesn't respond to that. Instead, he says this, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Now I want you to think about this. In a sense, God's saying to, he's saying to Elijah, Elijah, I'm not finished with you yet. And the story is not over. You've got to trust me. 
and you gotta begin to focus, you know, and stop, stop, stop walking, uh, you know, stop walking by sight and start living by faith and walking by faith. And he says this, and understand this, man, I am king over the nations. Man, anoint Haziel the king over Aram. Ben-Hadad was the king at that time. He told him to go, go on Haziel, king over Aram. That was the enemies, the northern enemies in Damascus of Israel. And then he said this, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. I mean, think about this. In a sense, he's saying indirectly to uh, Elijah, Elijah, I know about your enemies. And I have a plan for your enemies. And I'm going to take care of them in my own time. I'm going to be just. But you go do what I've told you to do. You focus on what I've called you to do, not on your enemies. And then he says this, and then go and anoint Elisha to be the prophet that will take your place. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, all these feelings of loneliness and these feelings of discouragement were him. You know, how much greater, I mean, what, what an encouragement it would have been for Elijah to know that, hey, man, the work of God is going to continue and it's bigger than I am. And it's, and it's going to continue, and I'm going to have a partner. It says here that he's going to be my servant. It says in some passages that Elisha was his servant. Elisha helped the, helped the old prophet to carry out his mission. And, as, he, and as, he, as they walked along together, the young and the old began to, some things began to, to, to be transferred into the lives of Elisha. You know, he said that, you know, and I think what he's saying to in in a gentle way, he's saying, Elijah, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. I've still got a plan. But you still got things that I've got to, I need you to do. You know, and it's interesting how the Lord dealt with him. You know, he never, he never once points the finger at Elijah and goes, Elijah, you need, to, you need an attitude adjustment. How gentle he is with Elijah in this process. And then finally in verse 18, he says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What a reminder to Elijah. You know, Elijah was extendable. You know, it wasn't that he, he had to do this. It was that God gave him the privilege to serve him in this way and to see, a, and to see how God, to do all these great miracles, he got to see in a way that many of us would never experience you know, who God was and the majesty of who God was. You know, I think we all at some point in our lives go through the slow of despond. You know, John Bunyan there in the, in the, in the, in the prison wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress and one of the places was this swamp. And Christian got in this swamp and got, got caught and he couldn't get out. And we all get in the slow of despond. Uh, we all get there sometimes. Yeah. But I want you to think about one of the things when, when we're doing that is that we need to turn around and we need to go back. We need to go like Elijah. We need to go back and go back to doing the things that we were doing that the Lord's called us to do. And the Lord and His grace will come along and touch us and give us rest and give us energy and give us all the things if we, 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 we need if we do that. But I want to encourage you today just... This resolution for rest. It's a, it's a different kind of resolution. It's a res resolution of saying, okay, God, would you do for me this year in 2020 what I can't do for myself? Would you give me rest? As I rest in you, 
Would you give me rest and show me the things that you would have me to do and keep me encouraged, keep me focused, keep me keep me doing all of those things? That's what I think. Are you having a quiet time? Yeah. Are you taking time out daily just to listen to God and open up your Bible and hear what he has to say to you? Are you doing some good things and, and keeping your body healthy and getting good sleep, you know? That, more than anything, keeps you from being discouraged and being angry. and being, You know, all those simple things. <clears throat> you know, are you thinking about taking time out maybe and just getting some time to just, you know, just get away. Maybe if it's just for an hour or two in an afternoon. Just get away and go for a walk or just go outside and sit on the porch and just listen to the Lord and just see what He has. Just take those times to rest and just to listen to the Lord. I think you'll be glad if you did. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We know that you, uh, we just thank you that you are so kind and gracious to us that you don't give us what we deserve. Lord, so often we deserve to be just, you know, punished and, you know, and some, for, for some of our attitudes and our actions, Lord, but we thank you that you love us and that you, you, just, you just woo us in love. Lord, we just pray that you would just speak to us with that gentle whisper and that we could just stop and take the time to listen and to rest and to hear what you have to say. Lord, thank you for this food that we have and just uh, bless our fellowship. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chuck. Good lesson. Before we left to come.